I uh, want to talk to you this morning in the last week of our sermon series on families, the Family Matters series, one, one issue that we haven't uh, really taken a deep dive into yet is one of the most pressing and heartbreaking issues in the world today. And it's the issue of healing broken families. There's a good chance you come from a broken family because most people do. And I will say that, you know, I don't know if really just having studied this this week, if there's anything or any family that is not dysfunctional in some way. And of course, Hollywood loves to sort of uh, glamorize this, right? I mean, you can go back through decades and, and, and see all kinds of TV series and movies that are about families. Everything from Leave it to Beaver all the way up to current day Yellowstone or the Kardashians or Take Your Pick. Uh, most of these shows just have to do with families and, and their issues, their problems, and the crisis that they deal with. And we identify with these shows because in, in a lot of ways it reminds us of our own families. And then there's real life families that are well known and of course very famous and very wealthy that we're enthralled with because of their history and the scandal that in, just sort of seems to encircle them all the time. Families like the Kennedys, even the Bushes have quite a history. And then of course there's the most fam, famous family of all probably in, in the world, the, the English royal family. And I mean, we're always seeing headlines about them, right? But it goes way back even to 1066 uh, AD when William the Conqueror took, took the city of London. When you start following that family line from the, the kings of Normandy all the way up through the Plantagenets and then the, and then the, the Stuarts and the Tudors and, and then you get to the Windsors, you talk about some serious craziness. I mean, it's wild. You, you don't have to look far, even to the most recent days with, you know, Harry and Meghan and, and William and Kate, and the headlines are, are plentiful. Of course, the, the, still the controversy with the death of Princess Diana and everything else. It's, uh, we're enthralled by this because these families are famous, but they're also broken. And to use a term that's pretty popular these days, dysfunctional, right? It's a common thing. And my guess is this morning that you come from a dysfunctional family as well. I heard it said earlier this week that families are, well, they're like fudge, mostly sweet, but sprinkled with some nuts. <laughs> and if you're thinking about your family and you're not sure who the nut is, well, <laughs> you, you might be it. All right, just uh, just food for thought there. But it's true, every family is dysfunctional or broken in one way, shape, or another. And I was looking at Scripture trying to think of, well, where can I go to Scripture to, to just sort of as, give you a foundation for where to start in this message? And honestly, there's, there's so many families in the Bible that are messed up, right? I mean, you can look at Jacob and Esau, you can look at Jacob and his sons, his 12 sons, and of course Joseph and all the mess that happens there. You can go back a little further and look at Isaac and Rebekah and how they favored either each son, Jacob and Esau, and that started all kinds of mess. Or you can go a little further, a little closer to us in history, like David, King David. I mean, good grief, because of his sin, his whole family was messed up for years and years, right? And that's usually what it goes back to is sin. And so when I started thinking about that, then the first family that came to my mind 
would be the first family. Genesis chapter 3. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to that chapter in the Bible. It's the very, very first book of the Bible. You only have to go a few pages in to lay a little groundwork. Of course, God has created the world. He's created Adam, and he's now created Eve, although he didn't actually name her. Adam named her in Genesis chapter 5 after the fall. In fact, if you want to know what God named Eve, look at Genesis chapter 5, verse 2. The Bible says God named them Adam. It wasn't until after the fall that Adam gave Eve her name, which means the, the mother of all things or the, the beginning, the breath of life. And so we're looking at these two individuals, the very first individuals. They must have been beautiful. They were perfect, probably had 2% body fat and all kinds of stuff like that. It's really disgusting to think about how perfect they must have looked. But at the same time, the Bible says in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, that God placed a tree in the middle of the garden. And he said, look, you can eat of any tree in the garden except this one. And I imagine it was kind of like placing a sign up in a junior high school that says, hey, don't read this. It means every kid in the school is going to read this, right? And that's exactly what happened. It was the temptation of that tree that drew them to this, this mysterious, I wonder what if. And then along comes the serpent in chapter 3. And here's what happens. You know the story. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat any, eat any of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the servant, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, there's several untruths that we encounter right away in these little verses. First of all, Satan misquotes God in verse 1, and then he questions God's word in verse 4, and then he questions God's character in verse 5. You see, Satan's always going to work hard at making you question God's word and God's character. He will use any means necessary to cause you to ignore God's word or to question God's character and instead place yourself in the place of God. We believe these lies all the time, and everything in the world will point you everywhere else other than the truth of God's word. And then look what happens in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. Does that sound a little bit familiar to you? Go a few thousand years closer to us now in history and, and, and look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. 1 John says this, John writes these words, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now look back at Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that's lust of the flesh, and that it was a delight to the eyes, that's lust of the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, that's the pride of life, she took of its fruit and ate. I share that with you just to remind you that the wiles and the schemes and the fiery darts of the evil one are still the same. He still uses the same old tricks that he used in the very beginning of time, and it's still working. She took the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, 
who was with her. Now, how many of you grew up kind of thinking that Adam was kind of off, you know, naming animals or something, and she was hanging out there with the serpent by herself, and then later on, Adam appears in the, in the scene? Did you ever? Yeah. Well, I did too. And then like, you, you see here that he was actually with her. So this whole little scenario is happening, and there's Adam just kind of standing, you know, just hanging out, watching this whole thing happen. And then in verse 7, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. Hmm. Satan's still using the same old tricks, isn't he? And he knows that our cravings will blur our convictions. And what we see becomes what we want because we think it will make our lives better. And often we look up and we realize too late that we've bought into the same ancient lie that Satan has been using since the dawn of time. We fall and pray to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. And that ultimately leads, leads to brokenness. Sin always does. And it certainly did in the family of Adam and Eve because the result of this sin was certain death. So what does he do? He throws them out of the garden, right? And that's when all the dysfunction began. And shortly after that, we find out that even their own son Cain murders their son Abel. And the mess has begun. And it's been going on ever since. How's that for an encouraging word today? So I got a few little pointers for you on how to bring healing to your broken family. And I want to say beginning, before we get into this, first of all, I'm not a professional counselor. But when I finished writing this sermon, I went to two professional counselors and showed them the notes, and they underlined for me that what I have here is the beginning of where they begin in their counseling sessions. He said, have you been in, Tom said, have you been in my counseling meetings? I said, no, I've just been studying a lot. He said, well, this is really the basis of where we begin our counseling sessions. So I want you to know, first of all, that I'm not a professional counselor, but I did quite a bit of study on this message. Secondly, I want you to know that we do have professional counselors on our staff, and we are closely tied to several counseling agencies in town, and we offer this for free, y'all. You can come and help bring healing to your family by seeking counseling from our staff at our church. We have wonderful counseling. Tom Friedis and his team do a wonderful job. And so if you're needing counseling for your family, please reach out to us. That's one of the reasons we exist in this community, to help bring healing to your hurting family. So with that in mind, let me just give you a couple of uh, thoughts here. And I give all the credit to Skip Heidzik and, and Chuck Swindoll and Tony Evans and Rick Warren and all the other guys I listened to this week. And so some of this, I've just sort of drawn wisdom from them. I, I, I want to make sure that you know I'm not plagiarizing, but there are some moments here that I pulled from, from, uh, from these preachers because they're full of wisdom. And I want to give them all the credit in case I end up quoting them in some way and don't give them proper credit when I needed to. So the first thing I want to tell you is this, embrace the truth. In order to bring healing to your family, the first thing you got to do is embrace the truth. We have a hard time just facing reality sometimes, don't we? I mean, if you, if you live your life on credit, then you're one of the individuals that has a hard time facing truth because credits are basically based off a lie. We think it's free money. It's not. This is the kind of mindset that we have in America. We, we don't face the truth of our situation very well because we either ignore it by running from it 
or we transfer the blame. You see both of those, by the way, in Genesis chapter three. Look at what Adam did. He said in, the, in, in, in verse eight, it says this, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I love that phrase. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So they're running. They're running from the truth of what just happened. They know they've sinned. They know they've royally messed up. And now they're running and trying to hide from God. Do you think you can hide from God? Absolutely not. Read Psalm 139. David has a great way of just explaining how God is everywhere. Verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you, Adam? As if he doesn't know. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Y'all, this is the very first episode of Naked and Afraid, right here. <laughs> Verse 11, he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Well, of course God knows the answer to this. Yes, they have. And the man said in verse 12, Oh, this is where we, so they've been running, they've been hiding, and now we see the second mechanism for dealing with untruth. He transfers the blame. Listen to what Adam says. This is, this is just amazing. He says, the woman whom you gave me, so now he's blamed them both. She gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord looks at Eve, and he says to the woman, well, what is this that you have done? And then she transfers the blame even further. She goes, the serpent made me do it. We're really good at this, aren't we? I mean, if, if there's any, any society that's wonderful at transferring the blame, all you got to do is watch the news every Look how our government functions. I mean, nobody wants the blame for anything, right? And Adam and Eve do this too. They forced, they, they're forced to admit their guilt. And in the process of forcing to admit their guilt, they're confronted with truth. God had come walking in the cool of their day. And I might add, if you think you're getting away with some private sin in your life, you may get away with it for years, but at some point as a child of the king, for your good, God is going to come walking in the cool of your day and you will be forced to deal with it in the light because you cannot hide your sin from God. So they deal with the sin first by trying to hide, then they transfer the blame. But both of these mechanisms are a way of avoiding truth. And God knows the very truth about you. So it's time we just be honest with ourselves. It's time we be honest with our own family. God knows the truth about us and our family. And we work so hard to ignore it that we end up denying it. And denialism or denial in the psychology of human behavior is a person's choice to deny reality as a way to avoid a psychologically uncomfortable truth. But truth is still truth. And one of the keys to helping an addict overcome their addiction is to help them embrace the truth of their situation. You've got to come to grips with reality, right? And sometimes we don't even understand ourselves at times. What we, why we do things that we do and why we say the things we do. And it's because our old nature is drawn to sin and sin makes us miserable. And when we try to cope, it leads to more sin and more mistakes. And then we begin to deny the reality of our situation and we look to blame somebody else. Listen, you can couple denial and when you do that with this relativistic mindset in our society, what you end up is with real trouble. And that's exactly where our society is today. We wanna deny the real truth, then we wanna create our own truth, and then we call it truth. But Jeremiah 17 reminds us that the heart of mankind is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. We can't even understand our own minds and our own motives at times. 
So we need a greater truth than the truth that we create on our own. And then we need to shine a bright light on the truth. And one of the reasons people love to do bad things in the dark is because it conceals your badness, right? Darkness hides things and nobody can see the bad that you're doing in the dark. It allows for you to remain anonymous and to still operate without any inhibitions. But to confront the truth means we have to shine a light on the truth. And this requires honesty. So folks, embrace the truth. I got a whole lot more to that, but I gotta move on because I got a bunch more stuff for you. Just remember this, conflict delayed is conflict multiplied. So embrace the truth of the situation. Secondly, talk to each other. I know this sounds so funny, but when it comes to healing broken relationships, how often do we just not even talk? Or if we do, we do it in the wrong way. I heard about this old couple sitting at breakfast just the other day, and, and the old man was, was trying to be nice to his wife, and he said, hey, Melba, after 50 years of marriage, I still find you tried and true. And she couldn't hear very well, so Melba said, what? He said, I said, after 50 years of marriage, I still find you tried and true. She slammed her coffee cup down, and she said, well, after 50 years of marriage, I'm tired of you too. This is a bad start to the conversation. There are certain ways you got to talk to each other, right? And the first way is you, you make the first move. Now, this is hard because if they wronged you, then you don't want to make the first move. But let me encourage you, you make the first move. Listen, that move right there is more important than being in church. It's more important than your worship. It's even more important than giving in the offering. If you don't believe me, read Matthew chapter five, the words of Jesus. By the way, he said this phrase just a little bit before in that same chapter, blessed are the peacemakers. Verse 23 and 24, listen to what he says. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, then leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. This is more important than the very offering itself that you're giving to God. He's saying, look, you can't be right with me until you're right with them. So go ahead and have the hard conversation now. It'll save you loads of heartache later. So there's a few things you need to remember. Go ahead and make the first move. And there's a couple other things like Decide on the front end of the conversation that you're not going to use certain catchphrases or certain words. My wife and I, somebody asked me the other day, do you guys ever fight? And I said, no, but we have very intense fellowship at times. <laughs> and, they said, and, 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 and one of the rules that my wife and I have in a, in a dark time or in difficult days or in a fight, we just have a rule. We don't use the D word. The word divorce never comes up in our conversation. It's not allowed. It's one of the rules. We just, it's never been an option. As bad of the days as we've had, and we've had some bad ones, that's never entered my mind. Because from day one, it was just part of the rules. We don't talk about that. That's not on the table. So certain things like that that you can establish in the relationship will help you in your conversations with dealing with real issues. So after you make the first move, here's another thing that I can give you. Speak the truth to them and do it in love. And do it at once, don't delay. Ephesians 4, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do it today. 
And if you can't get it resolved, and I know there's some deep issues that cannot just be resolved with a simple conversation. Just remember this. Restoring the relationship is the beginning of resolving the conflict. So Rick Warren puts it this way. It's always more rewarding to resolve a conflict than to dissolve a relationship, right? So work your hardest to resolve the conflict, but above all else, save the relationship. Let me give you another thing. Start by listening. Listen, everybody wants the same three things. They want to be heard, they want to be respected, and they want to be understood. If you will work hard in a conversation with somebody to do that, and it really begins by listening, you'll ease a lot of tension. But here's another few points for you. Um, Don't send it in an email. Don't fight by email. And here's why. Because people will read into the tone of what you're saying. Right? Uh, Don't post some passive-aggressive comment about your situation on Facebook. It's nobody else's business. So don't make it everybody else's business. Because then everybody else has an opinion. Right, Kanye? If you have to write it down to get it off your chest, then write it down. But don't send it. Wait at least 24 hours. I just did this not too long ago. I had a conflict with one of the people we were working with, and I wrote probably too nasty of an email, but I waited 24 hours. And in the context of the 24 hours, that person came back to me and apologized. Hey, hey! Now what happens if I send the email? More conflict, right? Wait. Do not fight with the person on social media. Do not send it in a text. Do not just simply call them. Why? Because anything and everything you say can and will be held against you. It's there forever if you write it down. Dr. Falwell always said it like this. He said it, say it with flowers and say it with mink, but don't ever, ever, ever say it with ink. (laughs) Right? And 55% of your communication is through your facial expressions. And 70 to 90% of what you're communicating is done through your body language. So while you're talking to this person, do it in person, but do it in such a way that is not offensive. This right here is offensive, right? This right here, this, all this communicates big, big time language, right? So it's as much about what we're doing as, as it is about what we're saying. Right? And don't forget your communication is not just what you're saying, it's what they're hearing. And what they're hearing is what they're seeing from you, not just what they're hearing you say. So pray that the Lord will give you the right words to say in the right way, with the right attitude, in the right tone, with the right body language, and at the right time. Remember, attack the issue, not the person. Do it without distraction. Put down your phone. Don't do it late at night. Put down the computer, do it when you're ready and rested and focused, right? Oh, and there's one more thing when you're talking to somebody. Learn this little phrase, it really helps. I'm sorry. It's a good phrase to know. Not, I'm sorry you misunderstood. Uh uh. I'm sorry. Not, I'm sorry you just don't. Nope. I'm sorry, period. And if you want to add a phrase to that, say something like this I'm sorry, I was only thinking of myself in that situation. After they get up from fainting, you might have a pretty good conversation, right? And by the way, one more thing. You will rarely see two unselfish, godly people get a divorce. You just don't see it. People who live godly lives and are unselfish 
They just don't get divorces. Immaturity and inflexibility has killed millions of marriages. And immaturity and inflexibility create the perception that you're incompatible. That's what Satan wants you to believe. And it's simply not true. If you were compatible when you got married, you're probably still compatible now. Well, we've just grown apart. Really? Or has your immaturity just caught up with you? It could be that. And that immaturity and that inflexibility leads to distrust. And once you don't trust someone in a relationship, now you're really asking for trouble, aren't you? Which brings me to my third point. Embrace the truth, talk to each other, and then trust each other. The most controlling people are usually the most insecure people. And if you have an issue with trusting one another, it could be because you went through betrayal at some point in your life. Let me tell you something, folks. Trust is earned, not assumed. And if you want people in your workplace or people in, living in your household to trust you, then you better be trustworthy, right? I mean, there's nothing more terrible than a, than a parent who's unable to trust their child. There's nothing more terrible than a, a child who's unable to trust their own parents. So we have to develop trust in one another. And if you live in the household of somebody who's betrayed your trust in them because they walked away, can I just encourage you? Keep doing what you know to do. Keep praying, keep forgiving, keep loving unconditionally. And one day when they face a crisis, and they will, may you be the one they come back to because they know they can trust you. They know that you love them unconditionally and they know that you're there for them. In fact, there may be somebody in this room or watching my television right now and you've lost trust in someone or they betrayed you or you've walked away. Can I just encourage you to come back home? Come back home. And the way you do that is to simply get right with God. And if you're watching right now, if you're in this room and you're not right with the Lord and you've never met the Lord Jesus, would you just bow your head right now and simply ask him to come into your life? He will save you and he will rescue you. He will change you and he will give you life and peace and abundance in your hope that you never dreamed possible. Hmm. So we got to learn to trust each other. But here's the next thing. We got to embrace the truth. We got to talk to each other. We got to learn to trust each other. Let me give you another one. Forgive each other. Whoa. Now it's getting real up in here, isn't it? That's not hard. That's not easy. So hard. But the way to get forgiveness is to give it. We have to learn how to have a forgiving spirit. Even to those who have wronged us greatly. If we don't, what ends up happening is it robs us of our own joy. It hinders our own worship. It hinders and creates a wedge in our own relationship with the Lord. And it creates a seed of bitterness in your heart that can end up lasting an entire lifetime. And the real loser in the situation becomes you. Forgiveness is not condoning what's been done. Rather, it, it, it means that you're determined to let it go. You are purposefully removing this situation from taking up space in your head and in your heart that's been dwelling there rent-free for maybe years. And when you do this, it will set you free from the chain of bitterness that has kept you bound. Let me tell you what Lewis Smead says. He said it this way, to forgive is to set the prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner was you. Hmm. So set the prisoner free and then watch God set you free. If you wanna live, forgive. I came across a story this week in this 1972 
episode of the Guidepost magazine. You remember that magazine? There's a story of Corey Ten Boom. Some of you know her story well. She was a prisoner in the Second World War in the Ravensbrück concentration camp under the Nazi regime. Her and her sister and her father had been placed in Ravensbrück because they were harboring Jews in Holland. And they were caught by the Nazis for harboring Jews, placed in this concentration camp in September of 1944. And it wasn't but just a few months later in December that her own sister, Betsy, ended up starving to death because of the cruel treatment in these concentration camps, as you well know. I mean, these are well-documented stories. We don't need to go into the gory details, but it was horrendous. And for women especially, the horror, the shame, being marched around naked and with, 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 with no food, starvation, torture, beatings, you name it, it happened. And Corey Ten Boom is right in the midst of this. And after six months or five and a half months in this concentration camp, her sister had died, but shortly thereafter, in December of 1944, on a clerical error, she was released. No explanation for it. In fact, one week after she was released, every woman in her concentration camp in Ravensbrook, her age, was murdered and killed, exterminated. But somehow, miraculously, she gets out. Now, we, we of course, as believers know this was a work of God because for the next 33 years, Corrie Ten Boom traveled to over 60 nations and spoke in countless churches. And guess what her topic was always about? The love of God and the forgiveness of God. So in 1947, she's in Munich, Germany, shortly after the war. She's in a church. It's in a basement. There's about 30 or 40 people there. And she's talking about the forgiveness of God. And then at the end of her talk, the room is clearing and a man with a brown over coat and a brown top hat starts making his way to the front and she immediately recognized him. This man was one of the most cruel guards in Ravensbrook. He's the one who oversaw the death of her sister. He's the one who would trace them around and laugh at them and make fun of them and shoot them in the head and all kinds of craziness. This man is there in the church and he sticks his hand out to her and he says, Fräulein, I want you to know that God has forgiven me of my sins. I met Christ shortly after the war, and I'm a forgiven man, and now I'm, I'm just seeking every woman I can find because there were thousands there to ask their forgiveness for the sins that I've committed. And I don't know where you were, and I don't know you, but I'm just asking because I'm seeking forgiveness from everybody, including God. And she stood there in coldness because he did not recognize her, but she recognized him. And she said, I stood there with his arm out to mine, asking me for forgiveness, and I could not do it. She said, all the bitterness and all the pain came up, and I was literally frozen. She said these words, and still I stood there with this coldness clutching my heart, but I've learned that forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I, I, I have to do that much. You supply the feeling. And so in this horrible moment, she says, I woodenly, mechanically thrust my hand into the outstretched hand to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. A current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang out into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. And I said these words, and she couldn't even believe she was saying them. She said, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. 
And then she said to the crowd she was speaking to, when I heard this recording, she said this, she said, can you forgive? No, neither can I, but he can. Embrace the truth, talk to each other, trust each other, forgive each other. And can I give you one more? Then let God do his work. God specializes in healing the broken. Would you do me a favor? Would you just lift up your hand like this? Hold each pointer finger up like this. Now I just want you to cross them just like this. The pointer finger that's facing upward represents the greatest commandment, to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The pointer finger facing horizontally represents the second greatest commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. At the intersection of these two things, when you're right with God and when you're right with man, comes a peace that passes all human understanding. Did you know that you cannot even be right with God if you're not right with mankind? First John reminds us of that. He says, if, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, then he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has not seen, or who, who he has seen, cannot love God who he has not seen. So when you're filled with the love of God, almost anything can happen and you can deal with it peaceably. But it's when you're not filled with the love of God and you're not at peace with yourself that would conflict with others arise. So it really is true. Hurting people hurt people. We saw that so vividly Monday in Uvalde, Texas, where a hurting young man named Salvador Ramos who had just had a fight with his grandmother, shoots his grandmother, and then proceeds over to a school and murders in cold blood 21 people. Hurting people hurt people. So my question to you today is this, do you have peace with God today? It's the most important step in healing any relationship. And it's interesting how this relationship between us and God and us and people also forms a cross, doesn't it? For it is the cross where all the wrath of God and the love of God intersected with man's greatest need. And it, God did this to the sacrifice and the blood of his only begotten son who paid for our sins in full. So what was a tragic beginning in Genesis chapter 3 where sin and death entered the world through the first Adam ends in a triumphant victory when Jesus Christ suffered, bled, and died on the cross and three days later conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. The second, the final Adam, as Paul refers to in Romans chapter 5. Therefore, as one trespass, Adam's sin, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, Jesus on the cross, leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. But by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass. In other words, it enlightened us to our sin. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What began in the garden 
became the pathway to salvation for you and me through the Son of God. Now, I say all that to say simply this. Every family in this room is dysfunctional in some way, shape, or form. But can God bring healing? Yes, He can. But it only comes to the power of God. Embrace the truth. Talk to each other. Trust each other. Forgive each other. And now in these final moments, can we just let God do His work? I, uh, I don't want to em embarrass anybody in this room. And I don't think you will be because of the sheer numbers. But I just want to prove something to you. All right? So listen closely. I'm going to ask you to do a few things. If there is anybody in this room who has either been through a divorce, going through a divorce, faced separation, or has endured the divorce of a son or a daughter or a mom or a dad or somebody in your immediate family, if you've ever been through the horror of divorce in any way, shape, or form, would you just stand? Wow. If you've ever had to deal with an addiction in your family, maybe it was you, maybe it was your spouse, maybe it was your son, your daughter, anybody in your family, has anybody in this room ever had to deal with addiction in their family to the point where it became a real issue with the family? Anybody like that? Would you just stand? If you've ever had to deal with abuse in your family, whether it's verbal, emotional, physical, sexual assault, whatever it might be, and it has caused an effect or ripple effect in your family, would you just stand? If you've ever had to deal with criminal activity in your family, that you have a, a, a family member who's gone to prison because of illegal activities, would you just stand? Maybe it was you, maybe it was somebody else. What about betrayal? Anybody in this, in this room ever been betrayed by a family member? If you have been, would you stand? Mental issues? Anybody been through mental health issues with your family, like depression, bipolar issues, whatever it might be, would you stand? falsehoods, lies that led to brokenness, lies that led to betrayal. Anybody have to deal with that in your family? Stan? Anybody have financial disagreements that led to great amount of stress in your family? Anybody like that? Will you stand? What about extreme stress, multiple moves, lots of health issues, job loss, whatever it might be? If you've ever had a family issue like that that led to issues in your family and even brokenness, would you stand? Yeah. There's a longer list, and I don't have time to go into it, but I want you to look around, folks, and realize one really very important thing. You are not alone. Everybody deals with this. And I want to remind you this morning that you are part of a greater family, not just your blood relatives, but look around you. This is the family of God. And we are here to love each other, to support each other, to bring healing to one another. We're here for each other. And the reason I want you to stand is so you can just look around and realize, wow, I'm in the same boat. We all are, every one of us. And we're all part of the same family. We're here for each other. We're here for one another. And I want you to know, God can heal your broken family. So here's what I'm gonna do. For the next few moments, we're just gonna sing over you. 
And before you leave the room, I'm going to have Pastor Jonathan pray over you. But here's what I want you to do. If you need counseling, counselors at the front. If you need to bring your wife or your kids to the front, then come to the front. Maybe you need to walk across the room and get things right with somebody else in this room. Whatever it is, don't hesitate. Now is the time. If we want God to bring, to bring revival to this community, and it's got to start in our homes. Let him do his work. Humble yourself. Let him speak to you. And as we begin to sing, would you just fill the altar and let God bring healing where only he can? Would you do that? Oh God, we pray that you'd move. Move in our hearts today. Move in our families. the families of this church. This is not an easy topic, I know. It's not easy stuff to deal with. And in a room this big and a crowd this size, nobody wants to be public about admitting anything, but I'm hoping God spoke to your heart. And as Pastor Jonathan prays over us, open your spirit to what God is telling you. Father, today we stand here, obviously, with hearts that are heavy over the brokenness that we see in our culture. But God, we also are broken. Our hearts are heavier of what, the, what we see in our own church, in our own families, in the households of those that we love, that we care about. And God, we know that there is so much, Lord, so much heartache, so much heartbreak, so much challenge that we see every single day. But God, we also recognize that in the midst of all that brokenness, there's but one answer. And that answer is found in the hope that we find in you. And so God, I pray that today for all of the families represented in this room, for those watching and listening, for families that are going through difficult moments, God, I pray that they would recognize that their hope lies in you, that they would seek your face, that they would run to you and to your word to find the wisdom, the guidance that they need to make it through this moment and the moments ahead. God, I pray for healing and restoration. I pray, God, that you would bring those who are, are fractured, that you would bring them back together again, and God, that you would bring that, that special moment of, of healing in their, their lives that they so desperately long for. Because God, we know that it comes from you. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the fact that 
as 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, that your love never fails. And so, God, I pray that in our lives today, that that is the love that we too would exhibit, that we would be an example of that around this community, around this church, around our homes, and that, God, as a result, what we would allow you to do in and through us is to be the light in a dark world that we so desperately need to be. And God, for that, we give you the praise. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our team is here. We'd love to talk with you, to pray with you. If you have a need, if you want to come down and talk with one of them, if you want to come down and meet Christ, man, we would love to share that truth with you today. God bless you and have a great day. I want to thank you for joining us today. If you've never come to the place of recognition of being a sinner and needing a Savior, you can do so right now. Believing that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again to give you eternal life, just ask Him to save you today. If you would like to talk further about that and what God has done in the giving of His Son, Jesus, we'd love to chat with you. I would encourage you to email us at the address listed on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you and help you begin this brand new journey with Jesus Christ. If you would like to help contribute to our ministry as we take this message of the gospel around the world, go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with this amazing message of God's love.